Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains, presented with the British Adventure Collective. This episode's guest is Ashley Winchester, who is an absolute badass. She is otherwise known as the Queen of FKT. She has a fantastic mindset, positive attitude, incredible experience and background, and we explore all of it in this episode. And really chuffed with this one. It's super inspiring. Lovely chat with Ashley. She's. We dive into you know the, the positive mindset between approaching FKTs the three things that make an FKT great, and uh, by all means let me know if you'd add anything to that list as well. Really, really great episode, super enjoyable for me at the very least, and I hope you enjoy it too. And um, with no further ado, let's get into it, shall we? Ashley, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. So, um, uh, obviously this doesn't uh, define you, but for those who um, who don't know, you are the sort of the counterpart of the FKT power couple, that is uh, you and Jason Hardrath. Um, so it's going to be fantastic to get into your adventure career because you've done like so much. Um, but I, I wanted to sort of jump it right back to the beginning because um, I heard you talk quite fondly about your upbringing and being outdoors so much uh, and and your mum teaching you all about flora and fauna and, and having that knowledge uh, today. Uh, but also, on the other hand, uh, like we discussed or just last night, actually, um, other things could be quite a hard nosed approach sometimes. Um, so the question really is that sort of adventure re kind of upbringing and the mixture of uh, approaches. How do you think that's affected who you are? today in the adventure space? Yeah. Wow. We're jumping right into the big questions here. Um, (laughs) So I grew up, my, my family was very loving, um, but because of the way I grew up um, just in, you know, surrounded by wilderness um, you know, my, my dad was in agriculture. Um, We did a lot of hunting, fishing. Um, A lot of our meat that we ate was wild game, um, wild pigs and and deer and stuff like that. And um, because of that kind of country lifestyle, I grew up with the whole like big girls don't cry type of mentality. And um, that, I think that that taught me a lot as far as, you know, how to be tough and how to push through situations and, and, you know, maybe deal with pain and, and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it also uh, has an effect um, kind of mentally as a child of kind of suppressing feelings and, and stuff like that. And so inadvertently, you know, I ended up with this kind of, uh, you know, suppression of, of emotions and stuff like that, which I think, you know, has, has kind of going into the wilderness now as an adult doing the things that I do, um, it's kind of had, that's had the opposite effect now where I'm like embracing emotions and feelings and kind of, you know, uh, recovering from that big girls don't cry mentality. But then also, um, you know, I still have that like mental and physical toughness that I was raised with. Yeah. And do you, do you find as well that you're, you're quite comfortable outdoors having spent so much time out there as a kid? Cause I, I imagine, people who have grown up in a city all their life might not uh it might not be so um no pun intended second nature uh, as it is to you just to be outdoors 
Yeah, I, I think that it has a lot to do with my comfort outdoors. I, I've always felt more comfortable being outside and even outside alone than I have wandering around the streets of a city. Um, you know, when it comes to running and training, I much prefer running alone on trails to running roads anytime. And, and that's not just because of, um, you know, it's like it's prettier on the trails, but it's it's purely a function of, I don't like being surrounded by people all the time. I'm a little bit of an introvert. And um, I, yeah, so I think that that upbringing and, um, you know, made me comfortable in the outdoors. And it actually, it, it's at a point where being outdoors feels more home than being indoors to me. That's cool. I, I, I like, I like, I like the sound of that. <laughs> that, that just, yeah, that, that's, you know you've done it right in growing up when everything just feels more comfortable getting out in nature than it does uh being around people in a sort of concrete jungles as as alicia keys calls it (laughs) Um, yeah i think so i think it's important to have a connection to nature even if it's something that you kind of foster or grow as an adult um start exploring as a as an adult yeah uh and going into um going into sort of the the adventure uh career i guess we could call it uh, fkt career <laughs> um sure. we're going with yeah. it we're running with it <laughs> i'll take it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll gladly take it um you know i i think <clears throat> the when i was listening to the, some of the podcasts you've been on you were saying how you kind of trailed away from the outdoors uh found yourself in a bit of a sort of a rough time and then came out of that and the outdoors and getting outside helped to kind of fix things. Um, my question was, did you find, did you purposefully go out and think, right, nature, that's going to help? Or did you just kind of find yourself being kind of brought out there? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think it's very natural for me to um, seek that kind of quiet and, um, you know, thoughtfulness that I find out in, in nature, just, just naturally. Um, I think I, I find myself kind of wandering that way if I feel stressed or, or if I'm going through a rough patch or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I always feel kind of drawn out there because I, it just, you know, being out in nature, moving my body, whether that's hiking or, or running or, or whatever it is, um, just kind of helps process through things. And I, I think no matter what your experience is outside, I think that's probably true for most people. Um, going outside and moving your body can help you sort of process through feelings. And so, yeah, I, I think that it was, it's kind of natural for me to, to be drawn out there. Perfect. So we've got this, uh, this foundation of a huge sort of outdoors, outdoors upbringing which leads us to the fun bit now. How did you come about doing your first fastest known time? Um, my first fastest known time. So FKTs were on my kind of peripheral vision for many years since I started running pretty much. Um, I, you know, I always kind of heard about FKTs and, and about the, like the big ones, you know, the rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon, um, you know, the entirety of the John Muir Trail, an FKT of the PCT or the Appalachian Trail or something, you know, those are really, really well known. And, you know, being not the fastest runner out there, I always assumed that FKTs were out of my reach. Like there was no way that I was going to be able to get an FKT. Um, 
fast forward a few years, I, I meet Jason Harbath. Um, we start dating and he started exploring this world of FKTs because he was doing these kind of big mountain link-ups for fun. And then kind of started going, well, these are, these are really cool routes and these would be fun for other people to repeat. And so he started submitting FKTs. Um, and he convinced me to go after my first FKT, which was this kind of obscure one that's in, uh, south of San Francisco in the Bay area in, in California. And, um, it's called the Bay area, Beta Ridge trail, I think. Um, it's like a 50 K, um, out and back and, um, did that and got the FKT and was kind of hooked from there. And I got hooked on FKTs for a number of reasons. First of all, you know, I, I was never really big on the race scene. Um, I enjoyed races and I liked the camaraderie and I liked the kind of fanfare and, and all, you know, like the music and all of that is fun. Um, but I always just really enjoyed going out and running on my own. And that's what a lot of FKTs are solo, you know, self or self-supported, or even if you're supported, you can be mostly a solo runner. And I enjoyed that about the FKTs. It, it gave me a reason to push myself, uh, things to train for, but also kind of, you know, a way to get out and explore these really amazing places on my own, which is always how I <laughs> preferred to do it anyway. Um, and also it's just, you know, like I just said, it, it gets me outside exploring new places that I probably never would have explored prior. I mean, there are some really interesting trails, um, that I probably never would have run if it weren't for the FKTs. And so, yeah, they've, they've brought a lot of, of joy, um, into my life. Yeah. It's kind of unlocked a door of, of more landscape and exploration for you then. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been driven by curiosity and exploration. Um, you know, I've always been one of those runners where I go a little bit further, not because it's in my training plan, but because what I don't, I want to know what's around the next corner. I want to know what's over the next hill. <laughs> um, so I've always been very curiosity driven. And when, when you're talking about um, sort of being curious about the outdoors and, and, and where you can go, what I really, really enjoyed hearing you talk about was when you were saying you're, you're freelance, so you've got the you, your time is your own basically. And you've got Jason, who's got these, um, uh, these huge gaps in, of, of holiday, uh, where as a, as a teacher, you, it's not really full holiday that they, they work bloody hard teachers, but, um, but he's got, he, he gets these huge gaps off, especially in America. And you too like to go away and, and, uh, and, and sort of make, so these sort of like more medium to large projects <laughs> kind of from the sounds of things. Yeah. I mean, we, we'd kind of, we chase the weather, um, wherever it's nice at whatever time of year that he gets his break. So if it's winter, a lot of times we'll head South and go to the desert. Um, in the summer, you know, we kind of stick more North where in the mountains and, um, yeah, we just kind of go searching for these FKTs. And sometimes like there've been times we took a three day weekend one time and just went and hit like five FKTs over the weekend. <laughs> I mean, just like crammed them in, um, and then there's times where it's like, okay, well, we have a week, um, you know, one of us is going to go and do this, you know, six day long FKT and, you know, with support or, uh, you know, unsupported or, or however it may be. Um, and, and yeah, and take that entire time to do one FKT. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, when you when you think back to these sort of uh, the, these trips, is there a particular one that that is your really favorite so far that comes to mind? Is it is it that <laughs> six day one? Um, <laughs> I have a lot of favorites, especially among the FKTs that I've completed. Um, honestly, though, the the one that has been really elusive and that I've tried a couple times and, and failed at a couple times um, is probably my favorite right now. <laughs> it's the, it's the death Valley crossing. And that one, it's about 165 miles of completely off trail travel. Um, so there's no trails. You don't travel on road. Um, you travel through a lot of washes and, and basins and, and stuff like that. It's, it's very rocky. Um, it can be very dry. It's, it's a death Valley is a extremely, um, unforgiving terrain. <laughs> it's, it's, very challenging to travel through. And the kicker of this one is that you it's, it's typically done in a totally unsupported style. And so that means, you know, you don't get to cash water ahead of time. You don't get to have somebody meet you and, and fill up your water and food supplies. You don't get to, you know, like stop at a road crossing and sleep in a vehicle. Fully unsupported means you're carrying everything that you need from the start for the entire thing. Um, and if there's, you know, natural water sources and stuff like that, you can, you're allowed to fill up. Um, but it's Death Valley. So there, there's actually a lot of water there, but it's not drinkable water. And so you have to carry all of the water that you need for 165 miles through the desert from the start. And it's, it's hard to figure out how exactly how much water you'll need. And, um, you know, how long that's going to take you, if that water is going to last you, um, or if you have too much water. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very challenging route and it, it just kind of captured my attention since ever since I first found it. And, um, I think just because it's so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, that was going to be one of my questions actually was checking in with you and seeing, seeing how that project was going. Cause, uh, cause <laughs> yeah. I, it sounds like it's been a bit of a love-hate relationship. <laughs> There's a bit of- yeah, it's now, so I've attempted it twice and now it's about, it's almost three years in the making. Um, I, the first time I attempted it um, was February, two years ago, actually. And um, I encountered very hot weather. Um, I think I carried about 15 and a half liters of water from the start. and. I ended up drinking a ton of water because it was so hot um, and got too low on water. So I ended up having to bail out at the 100 mile mark. Um, I had four liters of water left and I just, there was no way I could go 65 ish miles with four liters of water. And, you know, even if I did, I think that it's possible maybe in cooler wetter conditions, but it was so dry and windy in, in Death Valley at that time that, yeah, I just, there was no, I was going to make it. And then, um, last year, uh, a year ago, last December, I attempted it again. (laughs) And, um, that time I took 20 liters of water just with the experience that I had the time before I was like, okay, I'm taking enough water to absolutely make sure that I'm going to make this. 
Um, so carry 20 liters of water from the start. I think my pack weighed around 60 pounds, um, with the gear and there were storm warnings as I set off into this, you know, big effort. And I got about 75 miles in and just torrential downpour. (laughs) Um, it just got, it was so rainy and stormy, um, with that amount of weight on me and the, the muddy conditions at that point, I could hardly walk, um, because it was just so slippery and gloppy and gross and and terrible. And so I ended up pulling the plug on that one too. Um, it just wasn't safe for me to go into the next section, the next 25 mile section that's extremely remote. And, um, I knew that that section had a spot where I had to walk through an already kind of swampy area. And so with that amount of rain and that area being swampy, I just, I knew that I wasn't going to have a good time getting through. Um, it was also cold that time. So, you know, I was completely soaked (laughs) and the night was coming. So it's just, yeah, I was like made a, a decision for safety, um, and bailed on that. And then I was actually going to try it again. Um, just this last month, uh, after I got back from Aconcagua, which uh, was a mountain expedition that I did in Argentina in the, in the month of January. Um, but I ended up getting sick in Argentina and injured. And then <laughs> I couldn't embark on the uh, Death Valley crossing in, in February. So I might have to wait until next, this coming November. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not going anywhere, is it? So- no, no, it's, it's not going anywhere. And what I find crazy about about uh, your attempts there is is so much of what you've described is not what the at least in my experience what the stereotype of death valley is you, you just think it'd be dry bloody hot like you know run, run on the white line on the road uh, and, yeah and that's it. yeah um, everybody thinks of death valley and you you know you you drive through death valley and it's it's hot and there's sand and rock and you know most people just kind of drive through and look at it and go wow that's horrible. And then they, they leave. But if you actually spend any amount of time in Death Valley, you realize how really, truly incredible the whole ecosystem is. Um, it's, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Um, there's some crazy, crazy things that, you know, like just geologically and, you know, the rock formations and and stuff like that in the Valley are, are pretty incredible. There's great slot canyons to wander through. Um, the, the plants and animals are incredible. And yeah, it's just a, it's a place that you can pretty easily fall in love with if you spend any amount of time there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this might sound like a really stupid question, uh, but how, how do you carry the water? And, and, and I'll tell you why, because in my head, um, first of all, I imagine as you go on, it gets easier, right? Cause, cause there's, there's the, water, the amount of water's going down, but I'm just, for some reason, imagining you with one of those, like massive uh, plastic bowls, uh, you know, like almost the ones that you get <laughs> port machines. I imagine like a four foot tall one that you just got strapped on your back in there. So, <laughs> like, um, just like, is it just like a like a shed load of water bottles or loads of hydration packs or? Um, yeah, so I have actually two uh, ten liter drom dromedary bottles, pretty much. So they're like soft sided bottles that carry ten liters of water. And, you know, they have poor spouts and stuff. And then, um, so I'll I'll take those and then I'll also have, you know, either I haven't decided what I want to do next time, but either bottles or, um, like a water bladder. 
that I can drink out of so that I can monitor how much I'm drinking. Um, cause if I, I feel like if I just drank, uh, you know, if I somehow hooked, uh, you know, hose system up to one of those 10 liter drums, um, I would just drink way too much water <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden be out of water and be like, Whoa, what happened? Um, because it's, it's so dry there, even in, even in the winter time, sometimes, you know, it could be 70 degrees on the Valley floor and it feels like a hundred. Um, it is, it is so crazy how the ground like reflects the sun back at you. Um, it's just really dry, you get parched really easily and you just, I mean, suck the water down. <laughs> it's really crazy. And so I like to be able to monitor exactly how much I'm drinking. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a mix between big bottles and little bottles. Oh, I, I'm imagining you as well with, um, <laughs> yeah, this is, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's I think it's just because of growing up in the UK, you just get told death Valley is just like the hottest place on earth and, and that's it. And you associate the word death with no life. So you just imagine no one ever goes there. But you know those beer hats that you see a lot of fraternities? Uh, <laughs> like yeah. the caps of the straws coming down from the top. Maybe you could just run with one of them. Well, that would be great, actually. Um, yeah, maybe the water time. could keep your head cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not practical, though, I imagine. No, no. Um, yeah, I do. Actually, I carry carry it all in you know, a 75-liter pack. Um, I actually have a Hyperlite Mountain Gear um pack that I use for it. It carries decently well with that amount of weight. Um, I haven't found a backpack that carries really well with 60 pounds in it. So, um, it's and then, military, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually this year I'm, I'm really excited. I just, uh, started working with six moon designs, which is a handmade back ultralight backpacking gear out of, uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, and they, so they have this like really cool solar shade. Um, it's an umbrella and I'll be using one of those next time. So if it, if it is, you know, too sunny or, or too hot, um, having that solar shade will help significantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Massively. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. So with over 50 FKTs to your name, which is incredible, uh, it, it's, like you said earlier, it's really hard to pick a favorite favorite one. So I thought I'd go about it a different angle. If you had to pick three sort of big tick lists, you know, big uh, big categories that you that make a fantastic FKT, what would they be? Oh, three categories for yeah, like a anything from like landscape to to it just being like really strenuous. Like you might yeah. just be addicted to type two fun. I don't know. <laughs> I, type two, type three. <laughs> um, I try to stay away from the type three fun, but sometimes, you know, you kind of cross over that line a little bit. Um, so I always, I love FKTs in the Cascades um, and up here in, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, the, the mountains up here are just really, really incredible. And the views are always amazing. Um, I particularly really love summit and circumnavigation FKTs. And so that's one where you would like go, you know, take a, a route to the summit of a mountain and then descend and then, uh, go around the mountain completely. And I just feel like it's such a fantastic way to see a mountain is to see it, you know, from bottom to top and from every angle on the outside, um, that's like probably my favorite style of FKT. And I've done that on a few of the big volcanoes up here. Um, 
and you know, just on the kind of down low, uh, I plan on doing it on all of like all the volcanoes up here. So um, yeah, that's one of my favorite favorite ways to to do an FKT. Um, you know, mountain traverses are always great too. Um, you know, the kind of peak bagging in a in a efficient, fast manner. That's that's super cool. Um, I do like desert crossings. I, you know, I have, there's a very large chunk of my heart that lives in the mountains, but I also am very much a desert dweller. Um, I love, I love the heat. I love, <laughs> I like the route finding in deserts. I like the, you know, angry plants, all the, all the cacti and stuff like that. Um, so I really love desert crossings. I've, I've done a double crossing of Joshua tree national park. And I, of course, you know, I've tried, um, the Death Valley Crossing a couple of times. Um, there's a couple of other ones that I, I want to go for. And then recently, back in November, just did the Tuck Up Trail, which isn't really a trail. It's mostly off-trail route finding, but it's it goes along the it's a route along the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And it's it's very remote. Very few people go there. And it's just really incredibly beautiful. Yeah. So it's gonna be a, a good route with a with a shed ton of landscape then. To, to, to Ideally. You, 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 you've got a lot of time out there haven't you so you, you've got to have something that gets your attention for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes I mean the, the Grand Canyon one was was challenging mentally because it even though the the views were all incredible um it was kind of one of those things where you know you're end running these canyons and it's like a fractal almost it's like there's end runs on end runs on end runs and you know you could be looking across this canyon that's feeding into the grand canyon proper but you have to go around the entire side canyon and so and all of its side canyons and so you know, you're looking across it and that feature on the other side might be just a couple miles away, but it's going to take you 15 miles or 20 miles to get there. Um, but it's like the, the terrain, you know, the, the view doesn't change that much, um, because you're looking at the same feature for that entire 20 miles and it doesn't seem like it's getting closer. So it's, um, it can be challenging in, in that way. And, you know, the tuck up trail was one of those where I, in the middle of it, I was like, I'm never going to do this again. This is, this is really, really hard. Um, and for a lot of reasons, it was really difficult. But after the fact, I was like, wow, it was really beautiful. I'd totally go back and do that again. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a little bit of amnesia too that comes with these things. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, selective amnesia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, on a similar note, you, you've spoken about... Um, you know, when you're presented with fear, instead of getting scared, you try to get curious about about it and sort of question it and sort of approach it nicely <laughs> with respect to it for the sounds of things. Um, yeah. And with with what you do, that there's like you said, you just went to the, the, an incredibly remote place on the north north rim of the Grand Canyon. That 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 isn't something everyone does. So how do you how do you process and deal with people who project? their own limitations and their own fears onto you when you, when you're telling them about going off and running somewhere really remote and really hot. <laughs> um, people do that all the time. Mm. They, you know, they, they get scared for you and, you know, they, they do that whole thing like, well, what are you going to do if, if this happens or what are you going to do if that happens or, you know, and, and why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in that situation? And it's irresponsible to go and, you know, do this by yourself or whatever it is. 
Um, the thing is, is I, I honestly feel like we are in so much more danger on a daily basis. Like I'm more likely to get hit by a car walking down the street than I am to, you know, like experience whatever horrible thing people can come up with in their minds out in the wilderness. And it's like, I, you know, I take that risk on every single day without thinking about it. And we all do. Um, most of us do. And, you know, I, I just, I see it as one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, maybe there is a level of risk involved with what I do, but then, you know, would I be a happy, pleasant person to be around if I wasn't able to go out and do these things? Um, you know, would I feel like I, I was living my, my very best life and, and really, you know, enjoying my life if I wasn't doing these things. And I kind of feel like, well, no, I, you know, I, I love this stuff. I'm, I'm not going to stop doing it. And for me, you know, I spent, I actually spent a lot of time in uh, a relationship where I was told constantly that I couldn't do things that I wasn't capable, that I, it wasn't good enough. And I just, you know, coming out of that, I adopted this mindset and have proved to myself over and over and over again that I'm way more capable of, of things than I think I am. And I like to prove to myself that I'm able to do these things. And so I, 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 I don't take what people say um, all the time seriously. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got you to gotta take some things into account um, and listen to, you know, words of advice. But in general, you know, I'm going to make my own decision and, and do what I feel is, is best for me. It sounds like you're quite logical with it then, you know, it's a similar route to what I take, which is, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, it's more likely, more likely that you're just going to sprain, sprain your ankle or twist your knee or something than there is a, a grizzly bear is going to come out and grab you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like I'm, I'm pretty risk averse. I don't take a lot of risks when I'm out there. Um, you know, there are, there are people who are, who, who take a lot more risks than I do and, and they're perfectly okay with that. And that's fine. Um, but I'm pretty risk averse and I, I do like to make sure that what I'm embarking on, even if it's pushing me outside my comfort zone, that it's within my abilities. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a, one of our previous guests, actually, um, Rebecca Coles. Um, she, we were talking about risk and like acceptable risk. And she said that, when she's pushing for a, for a first ascent of a mountain, she'll stay within her comfort zone. But then when she's in training grounds, she'll be pushing herself outside of her comfort zone. And that's just to, to mitigate as much risk. And your good friend, Sully, uh, also um, spoke about two different... Actually, I really enjoyed your podcast, actually, um, which was on... Um, <laughs> uh, oh, what did you call it? Um, it was regarding fear, um, I think, uh, and risk. And basically there's two types of risk there's there's you know your 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 clear risk i can't remember the terminology she she used so i am bloody butchering this but she she basically said there's your 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 over immediate risk and then there's your risk where you make several uh, bad decisions that collectively make the 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 shit situation you find yourself in so yeah yeah, sounds sounds like a similar approach yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that's one of the things. So uh Sunny and I did the Tuck Up Trail together. And um we 
had a lot of discussions throughout that entire, um, you know, two and a half day effort that, you know, about risk and, you know, what are, what are we getting ourselves into kind of, and not in like a, you know, (laughs) a silly way or, but just kind of, you know, what are we really facing? Are we willing to face it? Um, what are, what are the worst things that can happen? Um, what would we do about those things? And we, we had a lot of discussions about that and, you know, ultimately kind of always came to the same conclusion together as a team of, you know, like, let's keep pushing forward. Um, and so, yeah, risk, risk and risk assessment, um, are really important in doing these kind of big remote things. Yeah. And like we say, uh, you've got a shed load of FKTs over 50, um, and it's really easy to talk about the, the, the achievements and, uh, and the great successes and the type two fun and the selective amnesia. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but it, it, when you, when you're thinking about lessons learned, is there a particular attempt or, or run, just simply a run or, or, or a mountain you you've tried to take on that's perhaps taught you the most? Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I've taken on a, a lot of efforts where I've not succeeded, where I've failed and, you know, failure. Yeah. Failure is never easy. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's always a series of emotions when you don't succeed at what you set out to do. Um, I, however, don't see failure as a, a bad thing. Um, I've kind of changed my tune on how I, how I view failure, how I accept failure. Um, and that's simply because I honestly have learned so much more about myself and you know how to do things right and differently from my failed objectives than I have from the successful ones. Because the successful ones obviously like are mostly within my my limits and my abilities and you know you succeed at them and you're like, yeah, okay, cool, I did it. You know, like there's these happy feelings. But when you don't succeed at something, there's reasons for that. And I I honestly feel like no matter what the failure is, if it's in an athletic pursuit or it's within a job or, you know, something in your personal life, relationships or something like that, if you're willing to dig into it and be really, really honest with yourself, um, that you can extract so many lessons from a failure. And honestly, like it's those, it's those times that I've learned the most about myself and kind of found a tenacity within myself to go back and try again with a better plan, you know, kind of like the death Valley crossing. (laughs) I could have, after the first one, I could have easily gone, this is too hard. It's beyond my ability. Yeah. I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) And, you know, yeah, it was, I, I was upset when I quit and, you know, there were definitely those feelings of I'm never coming back here again. Um, but then, you know, when I kind of processed everything and, and started thinking about it, I'm like, well, there's so much I could do different. And I know that there's something deeper within me that I can reach that where I can push through whatever pain, whatever discomfort I'm feeling. And I know I can do this. And so I went back the second time and, you know, again, it's like, there are so many lessons hidden in there. Um, and it's, it's through these failures and, and repeats that, you know, I've, I've found kind of a tenaciousness within me um, that I've learned to adjust my training better. Um, 
you know, I've learned to adjust my uh, nutrition plans better. And, you know, I've been able to go into some other efforts um, and be successful because of that. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think I, I don't like the word failure. I wish I could find a better way to say failure because it's got such a negative connotation to it. But, um, but I do see it as a positive mostly. When I was, uh, I like a cheesy joke. When, when I was a manager in a company, uh, we used the phrase uh, opportunity to better yourself. Oh, <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> which uh, is, was, is deliberately injected with a lot of corporate BS. <laughs> that phrase. Yeah, but yeah, I'm that, with you yeah. there too. Yeah. I, I wish, I wish there was a, I wish because because the, the only uh, you know, it, it, this isn't me 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 saying this uh, the only failure really is not coming home, um, so it's so really like there isn't it's not going anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, there's a, a there's actually a, this is a quote a bit of a, from a guy called uh, Mike Rashid years ago, and you could argue that it doesn't apply to absolutely every situation, but he said just to tell yourself the phrase only good things happen to me, and, and you will very at first your head will want to fight back going uh, you know be, be like, oh no i you know i just had to had to work late or you know this has happened to me or i just I just failed my fkt or whatever um but eventually over time you'll start to realize that actually you know only good things happen to you even if it's a failure that's a good thing because you've learned from it and now you can go back and do it do it better if you want to or take those lessons elsewhere to a different project so yeah I, i'm a big fan of it anyway so yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that's a actually a good mantra to kind of carry with you into, into something big or not big, even if it's just a long training run on, on a Sunday or something like that, you know, um, repeating something positive like that to yourself could, could definitely be helpful. Yeah. hundred percent. So, uh, coming, uh, coming to the last, last few questions, I, I, I wanted to, um, but before we go into some lighter stuff, I've got one, one more just to sort of ex- pick apart your your expertise and, and see what see see what your views are. Because uh, Aconcagua, uh, which we've kind of brushed on today, um, you, you said in your words, this isn't me <laughs> saying, um, just for the listeners, um, left you feeling broken. Uh, and in a separate occasion as well, you had a traumatic injury on an ice uh, on a, when you are sidelined on some ice, I think. Um, so I think I think it left you out for five months. So I wanted to yeah. kind of explore how, how do you process and confront and get through that injury time and, and recovering uh, both mentally from the event and and physically to, to carry on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just for some context here for your listeners, mm. um, last year I fell on some ice at Mount Hood. Um, just north of me and, um, severely injured my sacrum. And I didn't actually go to the doctor, uh, but it took, it took months for it to heal. And I ended up with these like weird muscle imbalances and, and a lot of weird nerve pains and weaknesses and, and stuff like that, that it took me months and months to recover from. And it, it was probably four or five months before I even started really trying to run again after that. And then, uh, on Aconcagua just this last January, um, my team, everybody ended up getting COVID on the upper mountain. So we had COVID at uh, above 18,000 feet and, um, just really mostly mild symptoms, but enough that, uh, it, it affected the whole team and our ability to climb. Um, but I ended up with a really terrible cough and I, I coughed so hard that I injured my ribs and I have been 
it's, I think we're going on five or six weeks now and I'm just now starting to run again. Um, so I've been sidelined by a couple of injuries over the last couple of years, which as an athlete is, is really frustrating, um, because you build so much of your identity around your athletic pursuits and your training, um, that for, I think I could probably speak for a lot of athletes in this, that you don't have very many other things that (laughs) help you relieve stress. Um, and so, yeah, this, this last time, you know, like last year, I, I really let it get to me. It was, it was really frustrating. Um, and this time being injured, yes, it's still frustrating because I, I, desperately want to get out there and run and, and climb and do the things that I love to do. But I also took the time to kind of explore more of those hobbies that, um, you know, have maybe been a very small part of my life for a while, um, and kind of explore them and expand on them. And so I've actually been doing, um, a lot more art, which has been really, really fun. I'm, I'm a writer. Um, I can, I'm a professional writer, but I also really love creative writing. So I've been writing more for myself, um, which is, is really, really fun. Um, I also took the time to spend time with friends and, you know, reconnect with some people. And, and those are things that I, I never really made the time for in the past because, you know, I'm too busy training or, you know, I'm traveling or, or whatever it may be. And this time I, I just decided that, you know, I have some extra free time instead of, sitting and feeling sorry for myself and, and dreaming about big FKTs. Um, I'm going to apply that energy elsewhere. And it's been, it actually has been really, really fun. And I can't help but wonder if the like change in perspective and maybe that positivity, um, maybe helps you me heal a little bit faster. Cause I know, you know, mindset has, has a huge part in, in how you're feeling. And, and, um, so yeah, I, <laughs> Um, I've been having a lot of fun with, with the extra free time. And, and now, you know, I'm just starting to pick up my training again and, you know, I'll spend a couple hours at the gym every day, but I still make sure to make that time, you know, first thing in the morning or, or evening before I go to bed to take out my sketch pad and, (laughs) you know, and, and it's, it's been, it's been really cool. And actually because of that reconnecting with friends and starting to run with friends now. And, um, which is something that I never really did much of before. So it's, it's been really cool. Oh, uh, only good things happen. So only good things happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. But, that, well, that's, that's a lovely little turnaround from injuries. Yeah. I think it's important to remember, you know, kind of those other things in your life that, that bring joy. Um, <laughs> and to remember that, you know, you're not just a runner or you're not just a climber. Like you're so much more than, than that, that one thing. Like there's so much more potential in you for, for all of these other things. And why not, you know, bring them into your life now so that if, or when you get sidelined by some kind of injury, um, then you have something that you can kind of put your energy into and it's healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've got, um, I've got two last questions, but one and a half last questions. Um, but before I've got this little one, I did say, I'd talk about your writing. So obviously you are, you are now a, 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 a what I would call successful, um, sort of outdoors writer and you, you self quote, love it, but would you ever go back and, and try to open a rock climbing gym again? 
<laughs> um, I, yes, I think I would. It depends on, so being a writer has allowed me to be able to make this schedule where I can travel kind of whenever I want and owning a business, even if it's a really cool business, like a rock climbing gym means that you're kind of stuck in one place for a while. And, um, you know, you're, you're working a job (laughs) where it's like, you are there, you have to be in this one place. Um, like no questions asked every day, all day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah. So there's this part of me that's like, wow, that would be really cool. I'd love to open a rock climbing gym someday. But then there's this other part of me that's kind of like, man, I, I really enjoy the freedom right now. And, you know, do I want to give that up right now? Not really. Um, not unless a great opportunity presented itself. So gotta be honest, like here in Klamath Falls, Oregon, like we need a rock climbing gym bad and we need a running store bad. <laughs> um, so there's definitely opportunity here, but um, just not, yeah, I'm just not ready to, to, to do that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. I, I'm, um, I, I completely relate with you because I'm doing a master's at the moment um which means i have a lot more spare time and it, the masters finishes in june and i'm just aware this time is going to fly by where i was able to to go hey listen i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to the gym after the school run <laughs> and um yeah and soon enough i'm gonna be in a job five days a week and uh i'm gonna be, gonna be wishing, <laughs> wishing i could do that again so i feel you yeah are. actually next to my desk i have written on a on a post-it note like on my computer monitor and it says don't let your days slip away And I do that because it's so easy when you have free time, it's so easy to fill that time with things that don't matter, like Instagram and, um, you know, like any social media or, you know, just cruising the internet or whatever. And so I've been trying to purposely and uh, like add things into my daily schedule that have meaning and, and purpose to them. Um, because I don't want that to happen where it's like, well, yeah, I could just, do that tomorrow or, you know, um, and then, you know, scroll away on, on Instagram or I tend to get lost in, in research. Um, if I'm researching an article that I'm writing, I tend to go off on these like weird tangents of, you know, down the rabbit hole, um, of researching something that has nothing to do with what I'm writing about. And so, you know, having that note there is like, okay, you know, like get focused again. Um, it's kind of helpful for me, but yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so the last one and a half questions. The first one is, in all of your uh, adventure, aforementioned career, <laughs> um, what is one moment that you would love to relive? Ooh, one moment I would love to relive. So I, at one point, held the FKT for the Mount Shasta ascent. Um, and that, that it's like, it's a pretty short FKT, but you go from an elevation of about 8,000 feet to over 14,000 feet on this mountain here. Um, and I got that FKT, um, only the second time that I ever climbed the mountain solo. So actually just like five days before I got the FKT, I, I climbed the mountain. There were a bunch of friends on the mountain, lots of people. It was a really busy weekend. Um, and then five days later, went back and just did it 
completely solo. And I had the mountain to myself. Nobody else was out there. It was a beautiful bluebird day. No wind, just absolutely gorgeous. The snow conditions were perfect. And I got to the summit, I had it to myself. And it was that, that feel, this like feeling of independence. And, you know, it was the first time that I had truly experienced the mountain totally solo. And I just remember getting to the top. I got the FKT. I stopped my watch and I just started crying because it was such a gorgeous day. Everything worked out so perfectly. It was my first real time being completely solo on the mountain. There's nobody else around. And it was the first time that I had that realization that like, I am so much more capable (laughs) of things than I ever thought I was. Um, And so it was just, it was a, it was a very meaningful experience for me. Um, And that's, I would, I would replay that one for sure. That's fantastic. That's, that's like, just like picturesque. (laughs) Um, And the last question is if we wanted to follow along with your adventures and check out the photos that you put online and and perhaps listen to uh, any interviews you may be doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> where can we go and do all of those all of those things? Yeah, um, so Instagram is probably the best place to find me and it's where I'm most responsive. Um, and my Instagram handle is Ashley, A-S-H-L-Y, no E, Ashley.Winchester. And um, you can find me on Facebook under the same name, but Facebook pretty much just regurgitates what my Instagram does. And I'm not as responsive on Facebook as Instagram. I'm still on there. So if that's your preferred um, social, then that's totally fine. And then um, I do have a podcast Instagram as well. It's called womenofthewild.pod. And um, you can find me there as well. Perfect. Well, listen, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. That's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really fun to talk to you.